Welcome to Bovine Banter with the Penn State Dairy Extension Team. I'm Daniela Rowland, and I'm a dairy educator based in Franklin County, Pennsylvania. Joining us today is Dr. Keith Bryan with Christian Hansen Incorporated, and we're going to be talking about silage inoculants. Thank you for being with us today, Dr. Bryan. Before we get started, could you please introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your background and your role at Christian Hansen? Certainly. I'm Keith Bryan. I uh, attended Penn State and I have three degrees from Penn State University, Department of Dairy and Animal Science. And I spent 20 years as an instructor uh, at Penn State in Dairy and Animal Science. After transitioning from the university to industry, I spent six years at Kaufman's Animal Health in Lebanon, Pennsylvania, before moving on to uh, Christian Hansen. I've been at Christian Hansen for 10 years where I serve as a technical service specialist, having had some experience in global product management. But my primary focus uh, right now is to provide technical service support to our sales team, primarily in the upper Midwest, as well as Canada and Mexico, focused on dairy probiotics and silage inoculants. Great. Thank you very much for sharing that. Before we dive deep into inoculants, could you talk a little bit about the basics of what inoculants are and uh, describe the two main types of inoculants? Yep, so the primary form of uh, inoculants for forages for the ensiling process are based on beneficial bacteria. And we know that uh, there are numerous what we call epiphytic organisms on the plants or naturally occurring organisms on the plants when we harvest them that could drive fermentation in an undesirable direction. So we apply bacterial inoculants in order to drive fermentation uh, toward a desirable endpoint. And this may include uh, mitigating challenges and issues like clostridic fermentation and the formation of butyric acid, combating enterobacter that will consume uh, desirable nutrients that we want to preserve for uh, rapidly growing cattle or dairy uh, to make milk, uh, preserve aerobic stability as well. And the two main types of inoculants are broadly classified as homofermentative and heterofermentative. Homofermentative simply means that they produce one type of uh, organic acid, that being lactate, whereas the heterofermentative organisms produce multiple forms of organic acids, primarily lactate and acetate. So what are some of the advantages of using silage inoculants? Well, the primary benefit from using silage inoculants is dry matter recovery. We know that these spoilage microorganisms, uh, when we first put the chopped forage into the silo, as well as when we feed out, uh, can flourish and we wanna prevent them from consuming dry matter in the form of sugars, starches, et cetera, that actually make milk. So when we first apply inoculants, uh, the, the, the primary benefit we see is an increase in dry matter recovery. That dry matter recovery from an economic standpoint typically 
exceeds the cost of the inoculant. So you have a favorable return on investment just based on dry matter recovery. Some of the additional advantages of using silage inoculants would include the reduction of undesirable byproducts. We know that when we get protein breakdown, say in alfalfa haylage, uh, we release ammonia to the environment. Likewise, if we are consuming, if certain organisms are consuming starches and sugars, we may produce ethanol, which is lost to the atmosphere. And in both cases, it's a loss of nutrients that we're trying to preserve to feed cattle. Lastly, the big advantage of using silage inoculants is the enhancement in aerobic stability, keeping feed cool during feed out. Yeast and molds tend to be prevalent uh, upon exposure to oxygen of the ensiled forage, and those yeasts and molds consume nutrients. They generate CO2, they generate heat, and that heat makes for an unstable feed that becomes less palatable for most cattle uh, consuming it. Thank you for that. That's, those are definitely some great advantages to here, especially on the economic side and, and the environmental side as well. So now on the flip side, are there any downsides to inoculants or are there any times when an inoculant is not needed? Well, there are potential downsides. I mean, as uh, bacterial inoculants are composed of live viable microorganisms, we need to be cognizant of what may uh, hinder or uh, adversely affect their ability to remain live and viable. And generally, heat is the biggest problem. Uh, most bacterial inoculants uh, remain viable at less than 110 or 115 degrees Fahrenheit. So if we have uh, bacterial inoculants in a, a water solution that we're going to apply, and the inoculant tank is uh, somewhere on the chopper near the engine or near uh, the manifold, it could heat up and kill those uh, bacteria and basically inactivate them. So that's one, one precaution that we want to focus our attention on is keeping those uh, bacterial inoculant organisms cool and viable throughout the harvest and application process. In terms of when an inoculant is not needed, um, I would say an inoculant is not needed if we're not going to focus our attention to detail. And at Christian Hansen, we tend to focus on critical control points or CCPs. There's nine of them for corn silage. They would include safety, decision-making, maturity, moisture, chop length, kernel processing score, an inoculant, focus on packing, as well as sealing bunker and drive over silos. And so among those nine critical control points, inoculant is only one. We can't expect a science-based research proven inoculant to be a silver bullet if we're not gonna pay attention to the other eight critical control points. That's great insight, especially now with tighter margins. Uh, it's definitely important for producers to hone in on those the critical control points. 
and look at all aspects of their feed management and cropping. So what are some factors dairy producers should consider if they're looking into using inoculants? Well, again, going back to the nine critical control points as a foundation, if we're going to pay attention to all nine, then inoculants is a significant one of the nine. But to go beyond that, um, I asked the question, you know, are you a good manager with attention to detail? Um, if so, then inoculants uh, could find a, a spot in your operation. Have you experienced suboptimal silages in the past, whether it's uh, aerobically instable corn silage that heats upon feed out, or maybe you had uh, some wet alfalfa haylage that went uh, through a clostridic fermentation and you had a band of butyric acid, you know, are there some challenges or issues that need to be overcome that a bacterial inoculant could potentially uh, help you with? And then, you know, are you willing to improve the harvest process and silage management? If you are, then bacterial inoculants could be a tool in your toolbox. If you're not willing to make those improvements and commit to improving the process and the end product quality, then inoculants may not be for you. Sure, that definitely definitely makes sense. So when we're talking about inoculants themselves, how does the harvest time and the ensiling process factor in when using these products? Well, I think anybody that's harvested forages to ensile knows that there's a window of opportunity based on maturity and moisture that we would deem ideal in order to put up those forages. But at times we may run into weather events that uh, hamper or delay harvest. Uh, there may be an equipment malfunction or failure that uh, delays harvest. And in doing so, that changes the characteristics of the crop. Uh, we think about uh, an early, we think about a maturity continuum uh, with ideal being in the middle, but if we harvest prior to ideal maturity, then that forage is probably going to be wetter than ideal. It's prone to clostridic fermentation and butyric acid formation. Likewise, if we are delayed in our harvest due to a weather event or equipment failure, uh, we get into late maturing crops that are, or late maturity crops that are drier than ideal. They become more difficult to pack. They're prone to aerobic spoilage microorganisms like fungi, specifically yeast and mold, uh, prone to heating and give us some challenges at feed out as well. So. Uh, the, the harvest time and the ensiling process I view as a, a carefully orchestrated uh, series of events that need to take place uh, in a very logical, timely fashion. And sometimes we, we're not capable of doing that. And a bacterial inoculant in some instances can help make uh, a, a good silage better, but in no case will it make a bad silage good. And that's a great point. Those are all great, great points there, especially to be able to control what you can control when you can't do anything when it comes to the weather side, but on the management side for farmers to do what they can there. 
Could you explain uh, the inoculant or best inoculant storage practices and the shelf life? Certainly. So generally, most reputable manufacturers will have storage instructions on their label, as well as an acceptable shelf life. And as these are live viable bacteria, inoculants, as I mentioned previously, are susceptible to heat. So generally, they should be stored in a cool, dry location in their original packaging. Once the original packaging is opened, I strongly suggest storing bacterial inoculants in a refrigerator or freezer until next use. Most inoculants uh, have a 12 to 24 month shelf life when stored according to the manufacturer's label instructions. But I would always suggest following the manufacturer's label instructions in terms of storage and shelf life constraints. Great, thank you. So as we start to wrap up, what are your take home messages about inoculants that you'd like to share with our listeners? Yeah, I just touched on one a moment ago. I think science-based research proven bacterial silage inoculants can be a wonderful tool to have in your forage management toolbox in order to make good silage better. But bacterial inoculants will never make bad silage good. As we touched on previously, we feel there are nine critical control points for corn silage. And if we pay attention to those critical control points, we significantly increase our likelihood of success. And lastly, there are numerous resources available with good information, not only on forage management, but also on the use of bacterial silage inoculants. Do you have any specific suggestions for where producers to, can go to find out more? Yeah, having come through the land-grant university system, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the cooperative extension services at those land-grant universities. They have uh, technical information specialists as well as field-based experts willing to assist. And then likewise, there's always the representatives from reputable companies that have expertise in fermenting and stabilizing beneficial bacteria for use in inoculants as well as technical expertise in the field to assist with uh, issues and concerns as they arise on farm. Well, thank you, Dr. Brian, for talking with us today. And thank you to all of our listeners. If you have any further questions about this topic, please feel free to email me at djr6158 at psu.edu. And be sure to tune in for our future podcast episodes with Bovine Banter. Thank you. Thank you.